0: This is Karen Hunter and welcome to the hub. We are live. Uh, good everything, Nubians and others, non-Nubians. Hello. <laughs> hey, Dr. Carr. Good, good morning to you.
1: Hey, Professor Hunter. How are you this beautiful day?
0: Well, I see you out in the streets. I'm doing a little where's Waldo. Like, where's Dr. Carr? All right, right, so blue skies. So that means you're someplace where the weather is.
1: Yeah, the smoke, the advisory. I'm in D.C., but the smoke oh. advisory, the smoke advisory, uh, let me think. This is Saturday, Friday, Thursday morning. It was, I when I left the house, I was like, good Lord, this smoke is here. And I guess yesterday in Philly, they, um, they went to remote instruction for the public schools because... Of the smoke, oh, and now they're saying, "Is it headed?" I'm can't keep up with the wind changes. Is it Listen, going across the continent now? I don't know.
0: I don't know, but I know it's smoking up in here. I thought my somebody's neighbor, my neighbor's house was on fire, and then I tweeted my neighbor was Canada. The whole yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know, you know what? It this it, it brought into stark um, just realization that there are no borders around anything. You know, no border kept a virus out. No border is going to keep this smoke from getting to you. Every chance people try throughout history, whether it's HIV, whether it's drugs, what you always try with the laws and your evil to keep the stuff out that you have probably started. And it eventually gets to you. And it, we're all on this globe together. So no one's going to escape. And all of the bunkers, yeah, you can create. I guess worlds underneath the ground, or go to Mars, or someplace, and but it's the same. You bringing yourself with you, so it'll be the same stuff over again because the problems are in the mirror.
1: The problems. Oh, ooh, okay. So you be dropping those now, quotables, just, like Dale, I said. Every every word I say should be a hip hop codable. Yes, the pro, it's in the mirror. I think that's a great point of entry. That's the phrasing it's in the mirror and the borders don't mean anything to nature they don't mean anything to nature i mean um
0: what you wait so but wait where are you like You are in and oh dc yeah, where, where
1: am i in 1998 um the this was right at the kind of maybe early overtures of what became the charter school wars in the United States, you know, the whole call waiting for Superman wars, the lotteries and all this kind of thing. Um, some folk got together and started uh, a, a network of charter schools called SEED, S-E-E-D. People have heard of KIPP, of course, knowledge is power, all those various ones. Uh, when Katrina hit in 05, uh, the predators in in Louisiana decided to miss no opportunity. So they made the whole... District in New Orleans, a charter school district and sent Paul Ballas down there to ruin it after he had come from Philadelphia with similar attitude. Anyway, here in D.C., they started a residential charter school here in Southeast D.C. called the C Public Charter School of Washington, D.C. Since then, they've opened up other places. And um, my very good friend, my sister, Erica Asakoye, um, was part of the leadership team who came out here in D.C. to do the work of ramping up the seed school she left here went to Baltimore worked there and now uh, she's in Kenya uh doing education work over there she has been there little boy and so long story short uh they're in a transition moment here at seed uh, between heads of school and so they reached out to her and said we know you love Africa we know you married a kind of African we know you' over there educating Africans and doing the pan-african thing could you Step back over here for a minute and just help us through this transition. So Mrs. Azakoye, or Erica Woods, her her, her main name, uh, Erica said, yeah, I'll help you out. So she got on a plane and came over here and has been here for the last few months. And today is graduation at the Seed Public Charter School. And you know I like to go to graduations because they beat up our children so bad, don't they? Professor Hunter, they beat him up so bad. And so I said, you know, Erica, you gonna be what day is graduation? The 10th. I said, you know what? I'm gonna do in-class from the Seed Public Charter School of Washington, DC, okay. in Southeast, where Murren Berry is still uh worshipped as a demigod. And uh <laughs> we could do in class I'm on the campus, the residential campus of the seed public charter school, where they take children, they live on this campus, they go to school on this campus, they do all their activities, and so it's a chance. Wow. And this is in Southeast DC. So you see all that green, that's southeast. As the developers know, as they're trying to take it from them. But Southeast DC is a beautiful part of Washington.
0: Mm. You know, I, so I, right now right I'm pretty
1: sure Dr. Black was last week. Last Wednesday, we were there at Bus Boys and Ports on Martins King Avenue by the big chair. Y'all know what DC.
0: <laughs> Can we sit in that for a second? Cause I was, um, I was walking this week and I was thinking about how we are now, you know, fully into this revolution, this remembering, right? And one of the early days when we started dissecting W. B. Du Bois, because in my mind, I'm like, OK, we're we're constructing a digital library at Alexandria that'll be here 100 years from now. People will know things that they need to know. So this is, you know, this is the work. Right. And during that conversation we had about W. B. Du Bois, you said he had a hundred year plan, mm-hmm. a hundred year plan. And I and I wrote it down and I started, you know, doing what I do in my mind uh, and then on paper and he took ten things that black the black community needed, and he was going to study them for ten years each, mm-hmm. and then come w- up with a solution. You know, and at the end of a hundred years, there'll be you know a complete blueprint for how how we get free. And I just think about the long you know the vision for that. We're now three years in, and in mm-hmm. my mind, the first thing we were going to examine was education. Mm-hmm. I've been quietly collecting and, you know, narrative is what it is, but it's expanding and growing. And Sharif Almecki is right there on the periphery. I got, you know, uh, Brian Favors, Laurie Daniel Favors, and they're on the periphery. And we're, we're going to really come in next year and do something with young people. But there's, you know, there's many different ways to get to the same place of freedom. Right. And, you know, charter schools, it depends on who's running it. Right. It does. See, this this thing, if it's in the hands of the wrong people, the great idea can be, you know, horrible for, for our children. But it like happens it be. So, you know, as, as we're thinking, I feel like we're we're constantly put in, you know, in a battle, you know, charter schools versus public schools, which is better. You know, it's like, no, it doesn't serve our children.
1: And charter schools are public schools.
0: So uh this seed thing sounds amazing. Can it be duplicated?
1: Well, yes and no. I'm glad you said with Du Bois, uh, you brought up Du Bois because uh, W.E.B. Du Bois later in life, as he transitioned himself, made his transition, he and uh, Shirley Graham from the United States to West Africa, where he said, of course, famously in one of his last letters written while he was in the United States, chin up and fight on to a friend he wrote, but recognize that American Negroes can't win. He that doesn't mean he not doesn't mean he abandoned the effort of struggle. What he meant is, you know, we have to be clear out about our condition, our social structure. One of the things Dr. Du Bois said during the battles for integration. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, during the African liberation struggle in the United States that is misnarrated as a battle for integration. The social structure has its own commitments and objectives. But what WEB Du Bois, one of the things he said. As varying opinions were voiced in our communities. Zora Hurston, for example, saying that you know, the problem with the schools, like the schools in my native state of Florida, where we have a fine Negro superintendent of Negro schools, is not access to white people, it's access to money. We need resources. Um, one of the things Dr. and she got excoriated for that. One of the things Dr. Du Bois said was that what the Negro needs is not integrated education, is not segregated education. What the Negro needs is education. And that resonates, I think it should resonate with us. So can this be duplicated? I think the elements of it that are most important are anchoring our young people in a culture of excellence, in a culture of self-determination, in a culture of community that begins with our community. And we think culture of excellence. We have, of course, been led to believe as an article of faith, really that black people have no culture of excellence. When people say for the culture, for example, I think that's a wonderful phrase if it can be connected to something more than some topical notion of swag surfing and, you know, singing and dancing and yas kind of bling and fashion and uh, hip comments in social media, because I don't know what for the culture means, because as um, many people have said over the years, it was one guy, I, think Edward, I don't said it that, um, maybe it was Walter Benjamin, I don't remember. But anyway, says, you know, culture is one of the three or four most difficult words to define in the English language. Well, take it out of the English language. My point is this, my point is this, What we have to and should duplicate is that we, the best elements of that. We, that's the intellectual genealogy. That is the cultural genealogy. I mean, I like to keep it simple as a point of entry when thinking about culture. Often I'll say to students, culture is what you do. Culture is what you do when you don't stop to think about the thing that you don't do all the time. What does that mean? Well, you know, when the famous uh, apocrypha that's attributed to Mike Tyson, when Tyson told the reporter asking him after talking about the game plan that the his opponent, his opponent of the month, had to stay away from his left hook and you know tire him out and getting later rounds, and Mike said, "Yeah, everybody has a plan." He said, "They get hit. Culture is what you do after you get hit." When you're in a traumatic situation, no it's this thing you don't have to think about. You've been doing it so long that it becomes something that is quote unquote second nature. Second nature, meaning not first nature, meaning not what you were born with, but what you acquired along the way so much in terms of repetition, what Kobe Campbell and Wade Nobles and remember I need and so many others. Uh, Naeem Akbar, Yvonne Bell, think about some of the great black psychologists, so-called black psychologists might refer to as the deep structure. Linda James Myers, deep structure. Mariba Kelsey, deep structure, meaning the things that have been repeated so much that it becomes second nature. It is second nature for African people to make community wherever we are. That's not exclusive to African people. I think it's deep in human beings to be a community. We're not hardwired first nature, nature. We're not not hardwired to be alone, to be individuals. But culture is how you build out on the hardwiring and what you do can think of it as almost like software, the software that human beings create. And y'all been having some fascinating conversations about AI lately. I've been listening bewildered and I must admit our sister Tanya Pinkins when she said how do I know I'm not code well yeah, that's a good question but at any rate um
0: think of it as a yeah. software well yo that was the moment that I had to sit back and think <laughs> I said damn it <laughs> but
1: you know damn it. what if we are actually we are code we are absolutely code we're all code because we have emerged out of a process that we didn't initiate. So this is, this, this is the central mystery of our existence. Where do we come from? Or as Frantz Fanon uh, once wrote, who am I? Am I really who I am? Am I And am I all I ought to be? I mean, these are, these are, these are the basic, basic questions of, of existence. So when you think of a, a space like this, that has literally been kind of sequestered out, well, there's a fence around this place. Why is there a fence around this place? Because the assumption is that there's something beyond those fences that should be filtered before any of it is allowed inside these fences. That's a tragedy because the great Traditions of black education in this part of Washington D.C. In fact, in Washington D.C. generally, I just uh, went past uh, Sumner Museum um, yesterday. In fact, which is the repository for the District of Columbia's uh, schools. In fact, that's where the records of Dunbar High School are, Armstrong, and some of the other schools as well, but mostly Dunbar, um, among others. But but the the point I'm trying to make is this: there were no fences around those schools. There were no fences around Mobile County Training School in Mobile, Alabama, which we talked about extensively when we were reading Barracoon together in Nubia. There were no fences around Dunbar of Dayton, Dunbar of Chicago, Dunbar of Baltimore, Dunbar of DC. There were no fences around Armstrong of DC. There were no fences around Pearl High School of Nashville, Tennessee. There were no fences around Horseman of Little Rock. And before that, Dunbar, before the so-called Little Rock, the fences were around Little Rock Central High School, the white high school, and they weren't material fences; they were human fences. Shout out to Jerry Jones. They they, they were human fences, and the question is, what are you trying to keep in there that you don't want us to penetrate? The answer is very simple. The answer clearly isn't quality education. Our teachers were at least as good as most of them and better. In fact, many of them than any teacher in the white schools. What you're trying to keep inside there is culture. You don't want to sing your culture. Well, guess what? As Zorna Hurston said, we don't want your culture either. Well, who is we? Because there were some petty Bush white Negroes. We absolutely did want their culture. And can you blame them? Because by the time you get to the 1950s, you're talking about several generations of black folk in a trickle, an increasingly rapid trickle, but a trickle nonetheless, who had been cultivated in a mindset that was informed by the social structure. And that social structure uh, having penetrated that small class of black folk who riding atop, standing atop, the vast pool of African people in this country called the United States had been thoroughly convinced that there was a process that equated liberation and freedom with proximity to whiteness, in fact, mastery of whiteness. How else can you explain that W.E.B. Du Bois, who would say near the end of his life that what the Negro needs is not integrated education or segregated education, what the Negro needs is education. How else can you explain that W.E.B. Du Bois, having been born and raised in Massachusetts, in a New England style education where he was um, a, a, a minority in his schools. Not part, he didn't realize he was part of the global majority, as you of remind us, Professor Hunter, he was a minority up there in Great Barrington. And, and he got a New England-style education. And he just assumed, as was the trajectory of his classmates, that once he graduated, was graduated from high school he will be going to Harvard. But of course, the town fathers, his mother, Mary, having joined the ancestors just as Du Bois graduated, they were like, no, you don't go to school. What we got behind that imaginary fence at at Harvard? Yeah, what we wanted to uh, keep from Martin Delaney, (laughs) what we wanted to keep from anybody else, and what we're going to keep from you is access to the culture. But Du Bois had already been thoroughly immersed in the culture, in the culture that said that at the center of educational excellence is Greek and Latin, is the quadrivium and the trivium borrowing from the Greeks who borrowed from the Egyptians. So you need some, some math, you need some geometry, you need some uh, grammar and rhetoric, you need, you, know, you, need, you need these arts and sciences to, to the foundation what they call the classical education. In the United States they might call it the New England curriculum, the same one they took South After the Civil War, the school moms took it south to South Carolina and Georgia, you know, helped them set up everything from Spelman and Morehouse uh, to the Freedman schools in the south. Well, you know, Du Bois had already been immersed in that. So he just assumed that he would be going to Harvard to continue that education and then become a fine New England gentleman. But them white boys was like, nah, nah. We might, have, we might have anchored you in the intellectual genealogy of Europe, but uh, the color of your skin is the wrong color. You're, you're one of the black bird arts. You're not coming to Harvard, but we think you're you're a fine young man, so we're going to send you to the best school in the country for your people. And that, of course, would be, in their minds, Fisk, the Congregationalist School, because again, in terms of ways of knowing, uh, as they set out to educate Negroes, they thoroughly immersed them in the ways of knowing of Europe, European style Christianity, uh, not Catholicism, but Protestant traditions that had emerged and kind of a pushback against Catholicism, but an extension really of Western ways of knowing the kind of Europeanization of that way of knowing we call Christianity coming out of Northeast Africa. But at any rate, those schools were considered the finest schools for Negroes. You know, so they put some money in we talk about charter schools today, but is that different from white philanthropy of the late 19th, early 20th centuries as we've talked about the Rockefellers, the Baldwin's, the Randolph's, the creation of everything from uh, the, the big money, relatively speaking, that pumped in to take uh, you know, Morehouse out of Savannah to Atlanta to Spelman out of the church basement to its own facilities, you know, these are white women going to get money. And then when the Rockefellers open up their pocketbook, okay, well, we're going to name the place after Lord Spellman, Rockefeller, let's keep it moving. I mean, but but the way of knowing the the, the, the intellectual genealogy is European, but the people populating that intellectual, intellectual genealogy African people are Black. So the, what are you keeping out, keeping us away from? We're keeping you away from us. We're already in your minds, but we don't need your bodies to be next to us to accomplish our goal. And so when that tiny group of African people who have been cultivated since the end of the Civil War over several generations. By the time you get to the 1950s, the aspiration has co The social structure aspiration has or objectives have uh, co-mingled with a tiny group among the African people in our governance formation. And some of these Negroes think that it's not just acquiring those European ways of knowing and anchoring that intellectual genealogy, that culture, so to speak, that, that second nature that you've been working so hard to acquire and in doing so, distancing yourself from the ways of knowing of the vast pool of African people now that you have begun to you know, kind of look at askance and say, yes, we're all trapped behind the wall of legal apartheid, but I don't have to behave like you and eat with my fingers or be a little too loud or be like, <laughs> yeah, but uh, no. As is that then the aspirations become commingled and it says, you know, now we want physical proximity. And we think that will improve the quality of education for even some more of you, Negroes, deeper down in the pool. So can this be replicated? The elements of it that need to be replicated are the elements we wake up with every day. And we start talking about excellence, our work, certainly over the last several years. As an extension of work that has been going on in an unbroken genealogy since we were snatched from Africa, which is why when we read parts of W.E.B. Du Bois' The Education of Black People, and he starts, is it the field and function of the Negro College? I think that's the the speech he gave. He gave several at Fisk, um, where he says, You know, I once saw a perfect model of education. I was in West Africa and these young people went in a circle with their teacher outside and they were learning together and sharing together. He said, well, that needs to be replicated. And that's one reason why there's a fence around the city public charter school, because whatever we have been educated out of that we don't want filtering in here is the idea that you shouldn't be able to do that. You should be able to do that uninterrupted and you should be able to do it without a fence. But unfortunately that's not the world we live in. Can this be replicated? Prof, you began this morning. I think, very, as usual, uh, very astutely, you know, you mastered the metaphors, borders, and what they can and can't keep out. You know, today's New York Times um, have on it, uh, today's actually Financial Times too, but this is below the fold somebody uh got a bunch of boxes in their bathroom why don't you put a picture like this on the front page (laughs) anyway yeah it it
0: was the weird white towels on the um first of all the sink there is like oh my god like there's so much to unpack (laughs) (laughs) see there you go again wordplay
1: hip-hop quotable but hey is this first nature or second nature Mm. This would be a real debate. I think this is second nature for Donald J. Trump. In other words, you don't do something like this that you've been doing it your whole life. In other words, what is culture? Culture is what you do when you don't have to think about what you're doing. You're the president of the United States. You're a billionaire. You own all this property. Yes, but what did I grow up doing? Put all that shit in the bathroom. Oh, so when you look down your nose at us, what you're preserving is not a standard of excellence, but your whiteness. Because see, had this been a black woman, they be trashing her <laughs> in a whole because the assumption would be well, that's what y'all do, really. Is this y'all president? Is this y'all billionaire? <laughs> right, the tiles, but no, below the fold, because everything above the fold, of course, is all about this, which is a banana in the tailpipe. The smoke don't no, nothing no, about this bathroom. What the smoke talking about is orange skies. That orange sky, you might see it more often. <laughs> Because the smoke knows no borders. While we're talking about the artificial borders of the states, the nation states of the world, while we are, and we'll spend some time on this now, uh, you know, this week and next week, because uh, next week is the 17th, right? And then Monday is the 19th, which is actually Juneteenth. So there'll be a lot of people who might not be available, but we got thousands already on Mondays and there be others who maybe you don't regularly come into office hours, but we're going to spend not this Monday, but next Monday on Juneteenth, but we're going to do it with some targeted reading on it. I've been thinking more about this. I'm going to say more about it in a a second because, you know, we're entering the summer and as I said last week, be good to slow it. some, spend some more time on some shared texts because we've done an incredible amount of work together over the last three years. And there is a substantial archive, and we should spend some time, you know, coming back to some of that shared experience. We got a little taste of it last week in office hours. we to talk a little bit about that in a minute as well. Thank you, Sister Valerie, from New York, uh, Haiti by way of New York. But the smoke don't know no boundaries. And uh, there's a brand new book out by Peter Frankopan called The Earth Transformed. He's a professor of global history at Oxford University, which means nothing, except like the C public Charter school, which has more resources than many of the other public schools in the District of Columbia. Oxford has an insane amount of resources. So one person can put his or her name on a 600 plus page book on uh, narrating human experiences in the world over the last thousand years through the filter of global environmental change you can do that because you have access to an insane amount of resources for research assistance for archives and library people to search through things and bring them to your research assistants to filter through and sort so that you can just read write rewrite look at write-ups that resources is what enables this this is why we're building a narrative and newbie this is one of the very important reasons why we need resources to free us up because the most precious thing we have is our time Well, see public charter school is a place where these young people can commune with teachers and administrators lifelong master teachers and educators like my friend eric Astacoye who, you know, and and the women and men on this staff who are freed up from having to do many other things doesn't mean there aren't still very many challenges, but one of them is not having absolutely no resources. Now the question becomes why can't every school have the adequate resources? Why can't every school have outsized resources? And, you know, people will tell you that in District of Columbia, the per pupil expenditure is one of the highest in the country and that yeah, that may be true, but guess where it's not going? It's not going into teacher salaries. We don't have teachers in this country. You know, I mean, because this is a capitalist country and, you know, dog eat dog and devil take the hindmost us. Listen to the conversation again, you have me tell you about uh, our brother Tyler Perry in Atlanta and the fact that he's anti-union and it allows him not to be affected by the right strike. Well, God bless you. I'm going to tell you about organized labor coming from a household where my father who was a military veteran of world war II and worked at the veterans administration hospital was very keen on, and his brother who worked in the Ford plant in Tennessee and Nashville, very keen on organized labor because everybody's not a screenwriter. Everybody's not an actor or actress. Everybody's not pumping out the same show 500 billion times. Anyway, not talk about that point is everybody is not working in organized labor is very important. Not let the police and fire unions, particularly the police union fool you, but the reason I'm raising this is because it's about resources. And when you live in a society where the culture, it is second nature to try to beat somebody out of a dollar, even if you've got a million, then you can't trust that society to develop a system that's going to educate people, create second nature in people to do anything other than to exploit other people. And who will, in fact, look on the idea of educating other people as an act of charity. Or, Lord, yes. So, you got to go out and raise money from philanthropy and then thank them. Thank you. Why? Thank you. What? For, for giving us money. Well, you made a dollar off of me, and now you're giving me three cents. And I'm in here in tears thanking you, even though all the money you made is off me. What the hell just happened here? In fact, my aspiration is to be like you. So, but what doesn't recognize those class divisions? Social borders. What doesn't recognize social borders? The fact is, people are going hungry. So when the country turns into a turn-up wherever we find it, you know, when people start breaking into people's houses and slapping people around and robbing people and, and all kind of acts of violence, you say, Well, this is their nature. You no, know? no, you train them because you've trained them that it is second nature to take from people. And since they don't have anything, they're gonna take it from you. So now you gotta put a fence up around an educational institution because the fear is that what you train people to do will filter into here. So what are you trying to do here? You're trying to establish a different culture, a culture of excellence. But the trick is that what you're using for your foundation has to be anchored in what you were doing before that culture of predator, that culture of predation, that culture of exploitation became second nature. That was not something you brought with you on those boats. So I think the thing that would have to be integrated in places like this, and this is our ongoing work, this has been the work of the African-centered schools. And the diaspora, particularly the United States, is to is to acquire the resources to do that kind of regrounding, and that is where the charter school movement comes fascinating. Because, of course, there was a robust debate. I was part of that debate as a much younger, obviously. It's been thirty years ago, more. But the intellectual thrust of the African Senate schools in the nineteen fifties and sixties, exploding in the late sixties through the early nineteen seventies, and then continuing through the nineteen eighties and into the 90s, and then as this, this injection of the charter school debate. I'm gonna talk about vouchers, do that another day. Although vouchers become a proxy for access. You want better education, what does that mean? I wanna move over here where these people are and get a different quality education. You can stay where you are here, quality education, but we we'll talk about that another day. The, the debate reached a crest in the early 1990s when the African-centered schools, women and men of African descent who created these schools in the United States uh, for their children it was a robust debate arguments you know everybody in love we all family but ultimately the debates on whether to seek these public dollars that were being taken out of the general public education fund and placed in these charter spaces which allow for ostensibly more improvisation more experimentation and on the on the bad end of the spectrum more more theft you can really siphon public dollars, hire your friends, give them the light bulb contract and the, and the technology contract, the toilet paper contract, who's getting the school buses, that kind of thing. But there was a real debate because these African-centered schools were almost wholly funded by African people who had already paid their taxes for their children to go to public schools, as Jay Carruthers used to always say. While we're building our African-centered schools, we talk about the Institute of Positive Education in Chicago among other one. He said, "We got to remember that the vast majority of our people are in the public schools. They're not in, so we have to infuse those schools with the curriculum. We got to help those teachers who are teaching our people their history and culture and linking excellence to these deep, deep wells of African knowledge. Extending what we've always done, we got to help those teachers and supplement them and augment them and continue even as we are building these other institutions. It's a version of the double taxation that African people were doing in the 19th century." when they were excluded from access to the taxes they had already paid in the United States. So they went and taxed themselves again, but in any rate, it's an extension of that, but I'm bringing that up to say that there was a real split of opinion among the African Senate schools and some of the schools that did in fact acquire resources that came with becoming public charter schools, you know, by the late nineties, early two thousands, really the early two thousands, the mid arts, you know, I was part of one of those. In fact, Erica too, um, the Sankofa charter school, Sankofa Freedom Academy in Philadelphia. Um, you know, that school came out of that. We said, we can, you know, we pay taxes. We can get a, a we can get this for this African-centered curriculum and we did in, in, in you know, K-12. But I'm saying all that to say that when you raise the question of borders, and the things that don't recognize borders. The easiest thing for us to recognize if we would just slow down and take the time is that we live in a world that does, on a globe, we live on a globe that does not recognize human borders. How we live on that ball or in the world, and I'm making a distinction now, the world being kind of a social construct. And it's interesting because with Frankopan, I, I got the book about a week ago. And typically, when I get a book that big, you know, I'll read the uh, acknowledgments, then I'll go through the index, then I'll go back and read the introduction, then I'll read the last chapter, and then I'll kind of go through and look through each of the chapters briefly. And then I'll go through and read, because now I got a sense of where this person is going. At the very end of the book, what Frank Pan talks about is the fact that something we've said here all the time. And, you know, I'm not at the library, I'm not at home, so I can't pull it to read it verbatim. But what he essentially says is that the earth will reset and that ultimately the earth will reach zero net emissions. The only question is whether part of reaching zero net emissions means eliminating human beings as a species, <laughs> because we are under the illusion somehow that we got to be here and the ball is like, the ball is having a constant meeting, the birds, the trees, oh, we got to get to zero net emissions, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. See that species over there, humanity, yeah, they're talking about it too, but we're also having a conversation. I think we've almost reached a consensus that to reach zero net emissions, we got to get rid of it. Okay, look at them talking, like they're like they making the decision. Mm. Meanwhile, some of us are like, do you see the rest of nature having a meeting about us? <laughs> do you understand? And people are like, I don't believe that. or Because their culture has told them to use up everything here because Jesus is coming back. Or Allah got paradise for them. And so therefore they ain't really got to worry about it. Because, they, okay, are we going to let, you know, We gonna, guess what? That's not going to be a theory. We're all going to have to test your theory. Your theory about to become all of our tests because if we let y'all keep doing what you doing, then the earth going to get rid of us and there'll be zero emissions and either we will be in paradise or not. But one thing's for sure, we keep following this, uh, you ain't got to wait to die to go to hell. Why is that sky orange? Oh, that orange sky? <laughs> you might see it more often. Well, I'm going to tell y'all hell is on earth. But anyway, the point is this. As we're thinking about borders and points of entry, and we're thinking about it in a space that, you know, in a in about an hour and a half here, you're going to see a bunch of 18, 19-year-olds walk across the stage named mom and them and daddy and cousin I.T. and all them going to be here screaming in their names with the balloons. I came in, you know, downstairs. I'm upstairs now in one of the resource rooms. Beautiful facility. And uh, I think the last time I was here was the first time Erica was working here. And I came out, uh, Eric Holder, The Attorney General of the United States was the uh, then Attorney General during the Obama administration, was the speaker, and they had the tent outside. It's really something to see our people come out in their Sunday best and celebrate their young people. Um, But at any rate, as, as we think about it in this context, you know, thinking about borders is something that I think we have the opportunity to do we always have this opportunity but you know circumstances give us moments as kind of teachable moments and here we are in the week between the week that will end a week from now with the juneteenth holiday weekend and then uh, a week from this monday with juneteenth so we're going to spend next week like we probably will as, as a rite of passage in various formations. However, we move forward and move in and out using that to reflect on what that ritual moment means, because there is a border there. That is, that is now because Juneteenth, a governance ritual, a governance moment of movement and memory, a governance moment of cultural meaning making, juneteenth a governance way of knowing juneteenth now because it is a federal holiday in the united states social structure you're seeing the border between social structure and governance structure being permeated people in an uproar because you got white people on a juneteenth banner and the it's, it's a federal holiday so the question is can juneteenth retain its meaning as a governance space in the social structure of the settler colony turned states called the United States of America. I think beautifully, because of course I have no investment in this social structure beyond our common humanity, standing in my humanity as an African person. I think that Juneteenth, we'll talk more about this next week. Juneteenth is, the most, more so than Martin Luther King, Martin King King's birthday. Juneteenth is the federal holiday that lays bare the fact that there is no we. And making Juneteenth a federal holiday is perhaps the most potent ritual, example will become the most potent ritual example in the United States of America of cultural indigestion in U.S. history. Because you can't digest Juneteenth. There's no way to spin it. You can't talk about the eight Negroes that fought for George Washington. Let me be. Let me tell you, you can't talk about the 5,000 Negroes that fought in the Continental Congress Army. And ignore the five thousand or so or more who fought for the British, and ignore the vast majority of who ran away. You can't just focus on them. This ain't July Fourth. You can't edit Martin Luther King in a way that got people out here picking up trash and painting walls at schools where they tax money already paid for the sanitation department and the schools to be painted on Martin. Luther King. You can't. You can't mix it. Martin Luther King said, "See, Juneteenth is about we was fighting, y'all." Let's celebrate the fact that we won. Now, how are you gonna digest that? <coughs> Hold on. Let me. Mm. We all celebrate Juneteenth because Juneteenth is about our freedom. No, Juneteenth is about me versus you. What do you think this is? Columbus Day? Yeah, no, no. You think this is? No, this is Juneteenth. You can't digest it. It's going to give you indigestion. So either you're going to have to develop a, a body that can absorb that, which means you're going to have a very different digestive system. Or you're going to have to vomit this up. I'm here. In fact, the only things, the only two choices that I think we should be having as human beings are those two. Either you're going to change this whole thing, which is what Du Bois was talking about, or you're going to vomit us up, which is what Malcolm and them was talking about, Kwame Jerry and was talking about. And I think Therein lies the border. Therein lies the to use the better for a border. therein lies the sentiments, the beingness that transcends these artificial divisions. The artificial division, the artificial line that divides Canada from the United States that the smoke don't recognize. Well, the other artificial divisions are now being overrun. And increasingly, there are fewer places to hide from the fact that these are artificial divisions. And then what comes out is the things that are second nature, but also the things that are first nature. And that's why I want to spend just a few minutes this morning on the developments here in let me pause here for a second. What I'm about to say is the developments here in the United States because we're in the month of June now. And as i said juneteenth weekend next week and then juneteenth on the uh on monday the 19th but our attention spans are a drug from pillar to post depending on what is the headline in the news today even financial times weekend which is not you know when it hits the, the top of the front fold pair. yeah lawyers quit trump defense team <laughs> the rats are scurrying and uh you know some people are reading this as a triumph you know i'm not gonna fall I'm not going to go for the banana in the tailpipe to talk about Trump much this morning, but I will remind people uh, of uh, the United States Constitution, which has two qualifications for being president. One, you got to be 35 years old and then, or older, and the other one is you have to have been born in the United States and been a resident for 14 years prior to you running. Uh, there's nothing about being a president of the United States you can't be in jail. And by the way, this thing ain't going to trial for a long time, maybe years. Uh, certainly won't go to trial before the primaries and the general election in 2024. And if you think that that indictment and the one that was probably going to come from family, Fannie Willis and whatever Al Bragg and them going to do New or you think any of them indictments is going to do anything other than harden the white nationalists who were going to vote for Trump anyway, well, you haven't been paying attention. So that's that's enough on that. But in the month of June, our attention is about to be ganged some other places. Uh, That's because the United States Supreme Court is disgorging itself. The decisions have been written. The opinions have been rendered. The votes have been taken. And now they're starting to trickle out. We haven't seen the thunder tone yet. I'm going to talk a minute about the the Milligan case. Um, John Roberts' majority opinion and uh, Clarence Thomas' dissent and Sam Alito's dissent and, and uh, Brett Kavanaugh's con- uh, concurrence in just part. I mean, I'll talk about that in a minute, but that's just a warm-up. The Indian Child Welfare Act case coming, Students for Fair Admission versus Harvard and the University of North Carolina affirmative action case and the case that is the most important case on the docket by far, which brings us to the borders question and that, of course, is the North Carolina case Moore versus Dempsey. That is the case that is putting to the test the concept of the independent state legislature theory. In fact, uh, this is the June 12th edition of The New Yorker, as you see. And there's a long article in here by Andrew morantz entitled Minority Rules, the Fringe Legal Theory that could unravel democracy. Now we always, you know, hear people say this could be the most important, this is the most important, this is the most important. Well, yeah, the thing about it is that that's often true. That can that can be true in very different contexts and it could be true in a lot of different contexts, but in the case of uh, the uh, in Moore versus Harper, not Moore versus Dempsey, I always think about Moore versus Dempsey's case in 1923, I think 23, anyway, Moore versus Harper, that one, that could be the one that reveals that these borders are fictions and they're always negotiable in fact um in a nutshell what you have in the independent state legislature theory comes down uh, to this do you have a right in the united states of america if you're a registered voter do you have the right to pick the president of the united states professor is there a right if you are a registered voter and you vote do you have the right to select the president of the united states as a registered voting voter
0: is this an electoral college uh discussion
1: That would be part part of it. Okay. In fact, the electoral college is at the center of it probably. Yes, which is
0: also tied to slavery, right? So, so, no, I do not have the right. I have the right to select an elector who then could go to the convention and make another selection uh, counter to whatever we, the majority, selected.
1: That's right. Faithless electors is absolutely part of this conversation. But here's the trick. That's you, you articulated the way we learned it. The, the question, one of the questions that stems from Moore versus Harper is whether or not our elected person in a state, the people who, the person who got the most votes, whether or not the people who voted for that person have the right for that person to win the votes in the Electoral College. Hence, independent state legislature. It's fascinating. You see, what what those who are arguing the independent state legislature uh, theory, and we'll talk more about this because the case gonna come down and people gonna forget about uh, boxes and bathrooms. They gonna forget about all this other stuff. They're going to be like, wait, well, what just happened? Depending on what the courts do. Now, we don't know what the courts are going to do. And, and, and this is not even for this week. I'm just bringing it up because what I really want to do is focus again on the case that we saw, the voting rights case, where people are calling a victory for voting rights. And that's true. And it's also uh, not a victory for voting rights that many people think it, or think it is because they're not really paying attention. That is also true. These two things can be true at the same time. But the case we're talking about here is, the people who are arguing for the independent state legislature are saying that states have virtually unlimited capacity state legislatures very specifically. And by legislature, they don't mean the legislative apparatus meaning the courts in a state and the state constitution, meaning the executive of a state, meaning the governor and the executive branch of the state only literally the legislature It's very literal. Only the legislature. Has authority to regulate elections. Meaning to determine whether there'll be one drop box in the whole damn state. Mm. to Determine whether they're gonna be strict voter ID and you gotta say mother may I hear or you don't get to vote. All these other things, right? And should that legislature decide that are irregularities or they've written a law saying, you know, they can give the votes for a candidate in a general election for president of the United States to the person who got fewer votes in the election. So the question of whether you have a right that the person who won the most vote be, be your representative in the state, oh, that's what's being decided.
0: Can you pause there for a second, Dr. Mm-hmm. Because I remember uh, when Barack Obama was elected and mm-hmm. I remember Mitch McConnell you know, and Lindsey Grams is, is talking about making him a one-term president. And then I remember all these people with these hats with the tea bags on them, and I was like, "Do they know what tea bagging is?" Okay, I don't think they. <laughs> but, okay, all right, they're they're interesting. Don't tread on me, you know. They were out there in the mm-hmm. streets, and then systematically we started to see the dismantling or the over the taking over of state legislatures all over the country. Elections that we don't show up for, that we don't know who's running, they were very keen in those lower courts, Come very on. keen. And I think about that now to have vision, which is why I brought up WB Du Bois. Because if you can't see in front of you, okay, I don't like this outcome. This black man got elected in my right. country, in my country, I don't in like my country. country. Right. Okay, I'm gonna be mad, I'm gonna put a hat on with some tea bags on them, get out in the streets, I'ma yell, but some of us are going to go and run for office and some of us are going to strategize about how we systematically take over states where we possibly could keep this going forever let's get the south back together right right that's right and then they did it fast forward 12 years come on now and here we are, and we got a Congress right now that is full of Marjorie Taylor Greens and Lauren Boebert, people that can't read, write, do arithmetic or anything, simply because somebody had a vision 12, 13 years ago, because they were mad about an outcome, and then they put together a strategy while we went to the streets and maybe we didn't put tea bags on our hats, but we sure weren't strategizing about how to take over the very places that we live. We didn't fill out the census to make sure we had more representation. We didn't do that because you know, the government, they, that's just a ploy to get your information. Is it too late? I'm sorry. I just, is it too, can we, is it too late Dr. Carr? I mean, damn, do we we strategize now? But you know, I see Cornell coming in. It's like, okay,
1: Yeah, Yeah,
0: okay, Uh, okay, Okay. Ice Cube, you got to play. Okay, okay, but what's the 10-year strategy? Because they had a 10-year strategy. Okay, we didn't make them a one-term president, but damn it, we're never going to be in this situation again. Where is our damn it, we're never going to be in this situation again line? Where is that? Where is? Who's doing it?
1: Who's doing it? A lot of people are trying to do it. We're part of the people who are trying to do it. There are many different ways to do it. And, of course, parenthetically, and I'm not discounting George Weah, the, the former footballer in liberia who's the president of liberia i'm not discounting that but i think that's an exception rather than the rule the American negro the you, you, negro the United states of America what other groups of African people in the world within these artificial borders we call states or countries uh let ball players and entertainers dictate their political philosophies but anyway you know slavery is a hell of a thing but the point is, the, the damage it did but Is it too late? No. No, it's never too late. But we have to understand, too, as we know that this is a uh, this battle is never over when you're dealing with a criminal enterprise. We saw that last week in the scores of people, hundreds of people who testified in Atlanta uh, against, quote unquote, Cop City until almost six o'clock in the morning. Having started the previous afternoon. And at the end of all that testimony, the city council voting along the lines that had been dictated to it by finance capital in the form of the police interests voted anyway to take taxpayer money to the tune of now near three dozen million dollars more and subsidize this cop city now that's an example people will say well see that means it don't see it don't matter whether you let your voice be heard they're going to do what they do anyway no it does matter because voting isn't just about participating in the political process electing representatives isn't the only objective of organizing what has been clear made clear in that instance is that the political borders the economic borders the borders that everything from the police unions to the people who are going to get these contracts to build this place to the people who are going to be displaced all of that social structure apparatus Guess, the, guess what the smoke is that doesn't recognize those borders, the people. So is it too late? No, but we have to understand that unlike things in nature like the smoke or the birds or the other or oceans, which are rising, unlike those natural elements, we have to marshal the type of collective force to overpower those borders if we want a world to be different in the case of nature it's going to do what it needs to do uh we just passed i think june the 6th 1944 the allied invasion of europe began or the retaking of europe began so-called d-day so that would be what 79 years ago this past week i read an article in the financial times earlier this week uh, focusing on Normandy, on France, on those beaches, on the Nazi encampments and the the, the Nazi ramparts and then the beach itself. As the oceans rise, those things are being eaten away. And what the French government has begun to do is subsidize to the tunes of millions of dollars people who live in that beachfront saying, you know, we're gonna help you Corps of Engineers have gone over there from the U.S. We're going to build some things to keep the water back for a time. But ultimately, we're going to lose this whole beach. Y'all got to go. You ain't got to go today. You know, and you ain't got to go home, but you got to get. Well, actually, you can't go home because it's your home. Well, you got to get the hell out of here (laughs) because the ocean is claiming all this back. And so there's a real struggle. But anyway, I'm mentioning that because, you know, there were African people who got caught up in that war. In fact, the Free French Army, and I haven't forgotten where where you're going, that's what I'm saying, I'm talking about this in terms of too late and whether or not nature, uh, you know, whether whether or not we can replicate the rest of nature and overwhelm these borders with our ability to organize, which is where I'm going with this. Um, And within this Supreme Court case gives us a glimpse of what could possibly happen as a result of the fact that enough people who are against our common humanity did organize in the wake of the Obama election to overwhelm these borders, which may or may not work to our advantage. We'll see shortly. But let me finish what I was about to say, uh, as the ocean rises, you know, D-Day or whatever, I, you know, coming over here this morning, I saw a brother from Gabon. And we struck up a conversation that ended right before I came in to the campus We're right outside here in, in terms of Southeast DC. I didn't know he was from Gabon. We were talking about his family, we were talking about, you know, I like, you know, talking to people. So we you were know, talking there and he, and he said, you know, um my my family's back home. And I all oh, where? He said Gabon. Oh, so I would love to go to Gabon, brother. I said I, you know, my uh my Jegna uh, is in Congo, Brazzaville, Di Benga. He said, "Yes, Libreville, uh, Libreville and then Gabon." And uh Congo, Brazzaville, right across the water. He said, Yeah, it's the Algo." He said, We're the same people. I said, Yeah, Gabon, you got all them different nations in one group. He said, Yeah, all these different people, but it used to be part of Congo. I said, Congo, like Congo, Congo. He said, Yeah, Congo, Congo, not them lions. We started talking about lions. It's crazy how the ancestors work as we had this conversation. Yeah, he said, You know, uh, he said, I said, like in Zenga. He said, Yeah, Jenga, one, it used to go from what is now Gabon all the way down to what is now called Angola. So we started talking, this kind of thing. I said, Y'all had Omar Bongo there, huh? He said, Bongo, oh. Bongo was the, the kind of strong man who ran Gabon for over four decades. His son, Ali Bongo, is there now. And so this brother starts talking about the struggle that they have been waging in Gabon to take their country. Their country, what is their country? You know them artificial lines the French drew? They call it Gabon. And them artificial lines they call Congo, and then going into Central Africa, them artificial lines that Leopold and them drew and the Belgians call Congo, Kinshasa, and all that, all them artificial lines, those things are being overrun. And so he began to narrate what's going on now in West Africa against the French. He said, Mali, Burkina Faso. He said, Gabon. Now, he said, the French are terrified that Gabon is going to go like Mali, going like Burkina Faso. I'm saying, what you mean, brother? Because I'm listening. You know, he said, he said, the people are not going to stand for it. When, God, when, when um, Bongo left and his son came in, like he going to take over. He said, we start putting so much pressure on him. He had a stroke. We had an election. The other guy won. Then they locked him up. He finally got out. He said, the, the U.S. was trying to help us. We appealed to the United States. He started telling me about all the people in the Gabon diaspora who are trying to get help to get rid of this dictatorship. And then he started telling me about how, he said, and the Russians are there. I said, the Russians are everywhere. They got their mercenary squad in West Africa, don't they? They in Mali. they in Bikina. He said, yeah. He said, the Americans can't stand it. said, so like, what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? And he said, we know all of y'all. Just want our resources. Again, these artificial borders. But he said, ultimately, we know that, but we have our own interests. So, we're not against the Russians automatically. He said, look at you, France. Look at you, United States. Y'all wanted everything. He said, you started, and this is so funny, we were talking. He said, they started with you. He pointed at me. What you mean, bro? They took y'all first. (laughs) Then they came back and try to take everything we was walking over. Remind me of the brother from Ghana we talked about a couple months ago about you walking over all our resources, but we're, we're walking on top of it, and they just want everything out the ground. The human beings are a nuisance. So we started talking about, what. Well, let, me, let me make this connection. What they are doing there is trying to fight to build a different type of social structure that will enable the people, the governance formations, the people themselves, who they are to each other, to live in peace, to utilize their own resources, to connect with each other. And it's overflowing the artificial boundaries that Europe set up so they could better exploit those areas. And as we were talking, finally, he said, the only reason I'm here able to talk with you this morning, brother, is because my father escaped being massacred. I said, who was it, Bongo? He said, oh, no, 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 this is before Bongo. He said, my father is an older brother. He said, my father was part of the force that was fighting with the Free French Army in World War II. I said, come on, man. He said, yeah. I said, my daddy was a veteran in World War II. He never got deployed in the European theater. My uncle did, he was part of Red Ball Express. So we started talking about black people who got drawn into this damn fight, this World War I, World War II fight. This fight, by the way, that as we talked about last week, I was thinking about this uh, this week, Charles Young, Colonel Charles Young, really represents this moment when black people got pulled into this European conflict because World War I, World War II is the transition from these kind of regional European powers To as the United States interjects itself, the next phase of global exploitation. Because after World War II, now you got the nuclear weapons, and you got all this other stuff. So now you got, and Charles Young, who is pulled in initially domestically, and then deployed regionally—Philippines, Haiti, Dominican Republic—and then internationally to Africa, Nigeria twice, Liberia twice. The career of Charles Young, you can trace it. And by the way, when the United States said they're not gonna let him command black troops in uh, World War I, he says, well, send me then to France and I will command the Africans. The French will let me command the Africans. It's fascinating to me because here I am in 2023 about to come to his graduations, talking with his brother from West Africa, and he's telling me that his own father was pulled into that mess in World War II, as was my father and uncle, most of my uncles, in fact, on both sides of my family. And as, he, as his dad, his hit daddy got pulled into it, there were more Africans and Arabs in the Free French Army than white people, than French. And at the end of that war, Everybody's talking about D Day now, the social structure. Oh, we just passed the anniversary of D Day, the sacrifice, the graves there, they laid in reefs. Okay, he said, Have you heard of the Tiore massacre? Tiore, Tiore. That's the Senegalese June? Hmm? He said, Yeah, my father escaped it. What is that? Look up the Tiore massacre. It's T H I O R A Y E massacre. Tiore massacre. Senegal, November the 30th. 1944. Those black men who helped liberate France from the Nazis in the free French army complained because they weren't getting paid like the French soldiers. Complained because of all the racism in the French army. The French military took that as an act of treason, and when they transported those troops from France to Senegal, not just Senegalese troops, troops from Cote d'Ivoire, Troops from uh, Guinea, Mali, troops, what is now Burkina Faso, Togo, Benin. Troops from Gabon, where this man's father is from. They transported them to Senegal. He said, My daddy went straight home, though. He went from France to Gabon. And that's the only reason he wasn't in Senegal at Thiore at Thier- in November 1944 when the French army slaughtered the black troops that had helped them fight because they called what they were calling for an act of treason. These men had helped liberate the French and win the war. Now, you won't find that you're a massacre in the French school books, but you find i talking about D-Day social structure. You will find you now you go to Senegal, you ask the right people, you go to Gabon, you go to Mali, you go to Burkina Faso, you go to, um, to Togo, They're gonna know about it. But see, our lives don't matter. Is it too late? What does it mean to build a country? The smoke doesn't recognize the borders. Guess who else doesn't recognize the borders? Those of us who understand those borders are artificial and that they were set up in part to be able to exploit the people who find themselves within the four corners of those borders. Who should not recognize those borders first? Anybody who sees our common humanity as the human smoke, not in the way that Nick Baker uses it in his history of World War I and human terror, but the way we should think about it in terms of our collective humanity, nobody who recognizes our collective uh, humanity should pick a flag over our common humanity if you've got to make a choice. This is an important thing I want to stress because we're now in the month of June. We're about to see the United States Supreme Court try to dictate the terms of the humanity of those who find themselves in the four corners of what becomes the United States of America. I'm using four corners metaphorically of course but the question is the question that we saw this week put to the test I think is very important the question on the on the on the table this week in the Milligan case out of Alabama was a question about voting rights. Do you have the right to vote if you are a United States citizen? Depends, but before we get to that question, which I'm going to come back to in a minute, I want to go back to, I want to go to a previous a prior question. And I think I'll replay this moment in my mind a lot. I mean, we talked about this many times, you know, we was talking about the, the 1619 Project being unveiled at the National Museum of African American History and Culture in, I guess it was September, maybe 2019. And I'll always be eternally grateful to my friend, Nicole Hannah-Jones for inviting me to be one of the panelists there to participate in that conversation. And I'm always convinced that we don't take the time necessary to really more closely study and think collectively about these things. I'm also equally convinced that if we did that, the rest would work itself out. Cause this isn't a question of capacity. This isn't a question of ability. This is a question of making certain things second nature study should be second nature. There's a fence around this place because what the people inside the fence want for these young people is to make intellectual work second nature. It should follow you back to your dormitories. It shouldn't just start at the school day at eight in the morning and end at the end of the school day at 2 30 or 3 o'clock. It should follow over into the quote-unquote extra or what we call co-curricular activities. It should follow you back into the study halls. It should follow you into the rooms. Can I walk past your room just before it lights out and hear y'all debating the finer points of a trigonometry problem or trying to work through the concept of free will and theology? Can I go by and hear you all having a real serious argument? Somebody took Martin Delaney's position, somebody took Fred Douglas' position, I would we open tears, open tears, if I could hear that. Well, my friend Erica Isaacoye and Kelly Sparrow Mickens and so many others, Philadelphia Freedom Schools, my man Cedric, um, who's now down in Brazil, of course, as we know, said Miles, we did that for years in Philadelphia Freedom Schools. Erica was our first um, director of Philadelphia Freedom Schools. We hired her in after the summer of 1999. And that's when we began our friendship. And I've seen her, I've seen that up close in the dormitories and we had retreats at Cheney University and Shaw University and Lincoln University when we would hold up with young people and we'd be in the dorms and they'd be sitting in the lobby at Cheney and girls braiding each other's hair and they working over the language of the debt and Randall Robinson, that's what it looked like. If it doesn't look like that i don't want no more to do with it life is short the same night awaits us all i don't want to spend another breath in a place that's not like that that's why we're working so hard now to engender that second nature so the question then becomes as i raised at the 1619 symposium sitting there with eric Foner, who was we were having a back and forth about the civil rights act of 1866 13 14 15th amendment and i said you know the real villain of the piece, The real villain of this piece is the nation state. Now, I know that goes over everybody's head, but sometimes you got to say that. There's no plainer way to say it. The idea that where you came out of your mother's womb is some determinant of your uh, access to being fully human in the world and in community is absurd. If these folk, as my man Gabriel was saying this morning, in Gabon, in Côte d'Ivoire, in Burkina Faso, in Mali. If they have said enough is enough, you're not gonna put another dictator in charge of us because you want the oil. I know y'all saw, put a footnote on this right quick, 30 seconds, I know y'all saw this past week, uh, OPEC, the Saudis said they're gonna lower the price, of oil and they're going to allow the United Arab Emirates to expand their production capacity. The African nations ain't happy about that. But guess what? The Saudis don't give a damn. Why? they stacking chips. Y'all saw they bought the PGA a couple of days ago. Because the thing about culture is you're creating, that you, you can buy legitimacy in a capitalist culture. Remember the PGA was like, what the fuck you doing, Brooks? What you what you doing, Phil? What, y'all can't... Blah, blah, blah. The Saudis was like, okay, we cool. <laughs> Wait, didn't they chop that bull up at the Washington Post job? we give a Where did it that... come from? The gas pump. My point is this. Resources like smoke, no, no boundaries. So I was asking the brother this morning, I said, yeah, did they find oil on Gabon? He said, yeah, man. And that's how we got into the political conversation. They need a thug in charge so they can get what we walking over and the people can't stand it no more and this human smoke is transcending the boundaries so now west africa is on fire and the french is terrified meanwhile putin and them boys is like we'll help y'all and they ain't gabon like come on in we know y'all thugs too but let's be clear we got an agenda and in this moment we'll let the russian missionaries come in but in the u.s press we don't know none of that because we won't take the time to study. We won't make study second nature so that we can have a position on all of these things. So, voting, as I brought up in the in the thing where we had the sixteen nineteen symposium, I said the villain of this is the nation state because the, the the interests in the world that don't respect those boundaries, just like the smoke from Canada don't respect the U.S. boundary, the companies in Europe don't respect the European boundaries. And the US companies don't respect the US boundaries. US and Europe, that's cosplay for y'all. Do you think Jamie Diamond gives a damn about <laughs> Jamie Diamond just worried because he don't want nobody to connect him to these, you know, predators out here. But in the meantime, Chase picking up bargains. They're in the middle of this. Do you know who broke? In fact, I even gonna say anything about it. I'll just read you the is, is the headline here. Uh no must been yesterday's Financial Times. They started listing the Wall Street bankers that brokered the PGA live merger. Smoke transcending boundaries. You understand? Sports is like smoke transcending boundaries. The cosplay is for the people cheering for one team or the other. Smoke is FIFA. Story another day. Some people football fans. In other words, the things that transcend the boundaries are the things that run everything. The nature runs the globe human beings only under the illusion we run it. They'll get rid. Zero tolerance will be achieved because the thing that runs this thing is nature. In the human world, it's not the people who say, I'm a citizen. And I suppose, that's what I said before. I said, why is being a citizen of a country gives you an gives you an enhanced humanity over somebody that's not? I'm hungry, you hungry, but I'm a citizen, meaning I eat first. And if I want to put a little bit of my tax money in feeding you, I can. But citizenship is the coin of the realm in a horror movie where the villain of the piece is the nation state. And so the question we see raised in Milligan in some ways is, before we get to the question of voting and who can and who can't, the question comes: is the vote itself purchased in membership in a passing formation? People worried about citizenship. Because we've created a world where being a citizen means you have more rights than people who aren't. And in the United States of America, it's been created by making people something that they had no concept of before you came here, which is what making the indigenous people citizens and then deciding what kind of rights they have. That's gonna be the Indian child welfare case. Don't worry, we'll be back here. It's June. The hits are gonna come. The hits ain't come yet, which brings me to the issue. See, in order to keep a nation state together, in order to keep a country together, you've got to convince enough people in that country not to overflow its boundaries and not to tear it up from the inside. That was really the struggle that we narrate as the civil rights movement. I've been taking this around and reading one more and more pages. I'm about two thirds of the way through now. Uh, Jonathan Igg's book on Martin Luther King. By the way, uh, Professor Hunter, Chef's Kiss on your interview with Jonathan Igg. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Who are you? Why are you writing this? And his, his answers were very revealing. And if y'all didn't see that, I encourage you all. Well, I don't know. They can't. After it goes past five, you've got a serious and Wait, it's still the free trial period for people who don't pay the subscription?
0: No, it ended on the fifth. and I may I'm a or subscriber.
1: It, I get to go back.
0: <laughs> I may, I may uh, drop that uh, interview in Nubia. At some point. That's
1: okay. Well, if you, okay, then then again. Okay. So if y'all part of the community, we build building again. Yeah, you, you to have it. Then you, the, the thing, the thing I love about it doing is I'm reading I quote. Cause you know, I had done what I do with all the books, right? And then I decided, okay, I'm gonna read. And then I put a big dent in it and then I kind of put it down. Cause you know, I, I yeah. but the first third of the book is on King and his family before Montgomery. Then he gets into Montgomery. Then, he, of course, he goes on well traveled ground. And David Garrow, praise the book, David Garrow and and Jonathan, Agg, I think share a lot of sensibilities in terms of their, what they are and aren't interested in in terms of King's life. But Hmm. I'm raising all that to say that at key moments, what Agg does is what I would expect any social structure proponent to do, who's really anchoring any analysis of African people in the broader project for him of US democracy and propping up this country. He drives it into the ditch. So this is why they did this. These black people did this because they had been humiliated and shamed, and there was fear. You, you, you. Really, there's a there's a passage in in part one of the book where near the end of part one, where a sister who is a domestic worker in Montgomery is having a, a, a conversation, which really turns into an argument with the white woman who is not paying her anything really. And this white woman is saying, "Why, why won't you ride the bus?" And the black lady showing her a glimpse of the governance formation. Finally, he just has enough of it. said, so I'm not riding the bus. That King said I don't ride the bus, but you know, it ain't just about him, it's about us. You, you can't control all of us. The smoke is overflowing the boundaries of segregation in the country. And it's not because they want to sit next to white people on the bus, it's because you're gonna stop talking crazy to me. I should have slept Shall you years ago, but at least I'm gonna sit where I want on the bus. I'm not riding the bus, and I ain't asking you give me no ride either. But let me be very clear. We're not going to stop, and we are going to win. Now, I need to go back to work. Plus, you ain't paying me nothing anyway. Uh-oh, the smoke is overflowing, the seats on the bus. Now, we talking about how much money. In fact, why the hell I got to come up here and wash these damn clothes in the first place? I would love to open my own laundry. Business. In fact, why we got to ride these, but we can buy our own bus. Oh, shit, the smoke is getting ready to overflow the boundaries. You know, if we took the Second Amendment as serious as you, we would all be strapped, at which point you would say there will be no more guns in the United States of America. Oh, the smoke is overflowing the boundaries. The Second Amendment says a well regulated militia. If you're reading that strictly, that means none of us are supposed to have guns. But you interpret militia to be every human being breathing. Why do you do that? because the fiction is, and this is where Andrew Morantz in and the New Yorker is hitting on this. This is what they call, what he, he what he describes, Tom Ginsburg and Aziz Huck wrote a law review article, what they call this, the Constitution has plenty of what, he, what they call majestic vagueness. In other words, you can make these words mean whatever you want them to mean. See, I found it out in law school. Again, we had to slow this down and study. So the first question is, is the vote purchased to a membership in a passing formation? Meaning what? Voting is a chance for a country, no matter of its criminal origins, to by extending some potential for human beings to maximize their potential within those four corners of the country. By extending them that, you can perhaps buy some buy-in. If you vote, your vote counts. Will change everything. You can you can shape this society. That's a lie. But if you can get enough people to buy into it, you can continue to maintain your real uh, objective, which is what? Exploiting the resources, stacking your chips, doing whatever you want to do. But the point is this: is the vote purchased to that? Is the vote purchased to membership in what might be now? Eroding and passing formations, whether it be West Africa, whether it be China, whether it be Brazil, whether it be Mexico, whether it be wherever the people who don't have much or nothing at all, are increasingly like the smoke flowing from Canada to the United States, going to overflow these boundaries. And so John John, my man, Johnny, Johnny, Rob, you know, the two most political members of the United States Supreme Court and by political, I mean political operatives you can make the argument that it's Johnny Robb and Beer Kavanaugh. Johnny Robb and Beer Kavanaugh, John Robertson, Brett Kavanaugh, were political ops. The last time this funky-ass independent state legislature theory poked up its funky head, I should add a third. There were three current members of the Supreme Court of the United States who were in Florida. Do you remember Professor Hunter covering what happened in Florida in November and December twenty? I'm sorry, December, November and December uh 2000, Hanging Chads.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Bush yeah. Yes. Johnny Robb was about in his mid-40s. Kavanaugh and Barrett were in their 20s, I think. Early 30s. When they were sent to Florida to figure out if there was a way to steal this election. Now three of them on Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Bob is writing memos you know he cut his eye teeth on bill winchrist that exquisite racist trying to pull people out of line of arizona saying they ain't qualified to vote this kind of thing this giant robbers man, beer kavanaugh fresh off of his uh command performances in new england now has a lot of greed and he's down there trying to figure out how to stop the count stop the steal stop the count because remember every time they announce a new Tally, as these people are going back over the ballots and may got caught up in the machine and arguing over is that a hanging chat, is that a dimple chat? The number, the, the lead with Bush and Gore is shrinking. Yeah, Bush, timid then and now, is, yeah. But somebody floats the idea in one of these meetings of lawyers. The idea that the You don't have to let the people who voted pick the winner. Eh? what I mean, look at the Constitution. Constitution says that the, the legislatures of the states are in control. Now, I remember this as clear as if it were yesterday. In fact, I was thinking about it in this context because I can see where I was. I was sitting in a car, listening to NPR between classes. And somebody said, it could be that the Florida legislature is getting ready to give those electoral votes to George W. Bush and eliminate the need for the Supreme court to rule. And their argument is going to be that the federal courts have no business. And the state courts, remember the state courts at that time in Florida were controlled by democratic appointees. And they were the ones who were allowing the vote to continue. This is a state issue y'all remember. If it's a state issue in terms of voting, the state's control. The only question is whether or not in the federal constitution, which gives state that power, whether this this word legislature in the constitution means the legislative apparatus. That means the governor, that means the state legislature, that means the state court, Supreme Court, uh, state courts. Does that all together constitute the word legislature? If you're reading the word legislature the way they read the word militia in the Second Amendment, then the answer is yes. Because in militia, that means every man, child, baby, dead person, phantom, uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man can get an open carry license and shoot everybody in the state of Texas because militia mean all of us. Okay, well, let's apply that then to the 15th Amendment. And let's apply that to Articles 1, 2, and 3. And when you say legislature, that should mean the whole legislative apparatus. No, legislature simply means those elected to the state legislature. Hold on. (laughs) Wait a minute. So the rule for the Second Amendment don't apply to the rest of them? Power. We're going to run a Boston on y'all. But who pumped the brakes this week? The political op. Johnny Rob. Because See what Roberts understands is this. Remember, this boy had been tearing up the floorboards of constitutional protections for the last 10 years. This is the boy who wrote in Shelby County versus Holder that we're not frozen in time, things have changed. Sure, I remember back in the days when Negroes wore shades, you know, braids, gazelle shades, and cornrows, you know, pitching pennies. No, I remember, but things then changed <laughs> so. Uh, the racism ain't there. So you don't need preclearance. You don't need you know, the states don't need to submit any plans for redistricting changes to the federal government. You don't need that anymore. Get rid of that. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who went just a little too long to get the hell out of the way, Ruth Ginsburg writes and says, okay, that's like throwing your umbrella away because you're not getting wet in a thunderstorm. (laughs) Yeah, but you ain't got the votes, RBG. Meaning what? They just threw the umbrella away. Now we standing here drenched, meaning what? You got rid of the pre-clearance protections in Shelby County versus Holder. And now these state legislatures, particularly in the South, are rewriting their rules to make Mother May IID requirements and redistrict and draw these old crazy-ass lines because they're going to keep this thing running forever. And in North Carolina, the board and the legislature said, they said, how are you going to draw districts in North Carolina with uh, 10 Republicans and three Democrats in terms of re- uh, registration, I mean election to the federal legislature the United States Congress. You got people with these and these lines will vote for 10 Republicans and three Democrats in a in a state where the voting is nearly 50-50 in terms of the people who vote. You know what his answer was? The reason I drew them lines to make them 10 Republican and three Democrat is because I couldn't figure out a way to make it 11 Republican and two Democrat. That's what they call a political issue. It's not justiciable until it's so egregious that you can't look the other way. That's the decision in Wisconsin. That was the one in Arizona, uh, the the Brinovich case where John Roberts with them on these, where he says, you know, if it's a political issue in terms of gerrymandering and drawing these lines, we cannot intervene. That's the states. They can do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, but it has the impact of excluding non-white people something called the Gingles test, Thornburg versus Gingles. We'll talk about that in a minute. But in the process of doing that, I'm my eye on the clock here, the, he's always been with them. John Roberts has been with them, narrowing voter protections, narrowing voter protection. So now this week, all these commentators are like, he flipped, oh, there's hope. No, he ain't flipped, the boy is a politician. He was a political act for years. So was Beer Kavanaugh. So was Comey Barrett. Although, as Angie Porter and others remind us, in Florida, she came out against the independent state legislature because they was floating the idea and were this close to saying, forget the Supreme Court. We ain't gonna worry about it. The legislature has the ability, we just gonna award the votes to Bush. And then there would have been a war. You know, the last time they tried that stuff was Hayes Tilden election of 1876 and we talked about that go back to the narrative archive again we've been at this for three years so many stuff we talked. so let me kind of wind this up put the bonus for this what we saw this week so Johnny Ra, I'm sure behind the scenes hundred years from now Joan uh just wrote a book nine black robes which is very interesting on the behind the scenes stuff at the Supreme Court excellent excellent book very interesting she's done some some good work we're reporting work on this but it don't matter 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, when it all comes out, and they say that John Roberts went over to uh, to Beer Kavanaugh's house with a fifth, it was like, bruh, they getting ready to stop believing in us all together. Now, I can't talk to Alito, because every time I go over Alito's house, he got an opera version of Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to mm-hmm, Yeah, He and there in his den. Giving out slip opinions and, and drafts to his funders, going overseas, cracking jokes, saying, I wrote the opinion, that the whole world critiqued with jobs. So he good. Clarence, we gotta worry about Clarence. Clarence is laid up under the weight of slavery. <laughs> I knew where I was going with that. But the point is that Clarence Thomas is incorruptible in his single-minded. In fact, I was thinking today, uh, Clarence Thomas, if Clarence Thomas were a song in the jazz songbook, he would be the modern jazz quartet's one-note samba. This is just a little samba that has a single note. He ain't never gonna come off that note as he goes and writes his opinions. We're gonna talk about his dissent, because he's consistent. He's the one-note samba. That's him. But what Johnny Robb and Brett Kavanaugh did this week, is put a banana in the tailpipe they have already kicked the teeth out of voting rights protections because if you want to discriminate now you don't have to if you were in a state in a, dist- in a state with plenty of districts that discriminate against black people in the past and minority people in the past you don't have to send your maps to the feds anymore why because the federal government has not created a new formula to determine how to look at these changes it isn't that pre clearance doesn't exist anymore, potentially. It's that Congress has to come up with new rules because Shelby County versus Holder 2013, Johnny Robin said. These rules don't matter anymore because they're not clear and we have, you know, we've made so much progress over the years and racial discrimination is a thing in the past. Ruth Ginsburg and her dissent lines out all these ways that they were discriminating. We talked about that too, but it didn't matter because they had the numbers. So they said, no, nah, y'all got to come up, Congress got to give us a, this a new formula. And of course, Congress can't give you a new formula. Why? Because the jury managed the mess out of it and you don't have enough people to override a veto or you don't have enough people to vote to get to the point where you can pass a new voting rights act. Which is why, when the mummy was in there in the first couple of years and had that slim Democratic majority, you know, what you call it in the Senate, you know, the two in the Senate, notwithstanding, and you had Harris there as the tiebreaker, you had a chance to pass voting rights legislation. But between, we knew Tim, mission accomplished. Scott was not going to do anything around George Floyd except lie to his family. Mission accomplished. But you know, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema against voting rights yeah it's gonna be a problem so people say well see voting doesn't matter no you got to put a few more senators in there. you got to get a couple more senators in there. that's why this election is going to be important i'm tired of hearing all that ice cube said wait hold on can we just stop right with those first three words said again ice cube said stop do you hear that what that is the entire african world laughing at you you hear yeah they're all laughing but y'all listening to I'm glad y'all set it off. Used to be hard. Now you just went soft. First, you was down to AK. Now I see you in a video with Michelle A. Looking like straight bozos. Oh, wait, hold on. Here's my plan for America. Oh, let's listen. This is a man who said, I never have dinner with the president. Never have dinner with the president. Never have dinner with the president. And when I see your ass again, i would be hesitant. It was Ice Cube talking about Easy E. But now y'all listening to Cube. I ain't mad at Cube. Everybody should have their opinions. But you know, you got people who went to school for this. By the way, Paul recognized the transition of one of the great economists of his generation, the great Bill Spriggs, William Spriggs, who made transition suddenly after a stroke at age 68 last week, this week, past couple of days. Bill Spriggs, my colleague for many years at Howard, who taught also at North Carolina AT. Bill Spriggs, uh, who also taught at Norfolk State, his father. Uh, Thurman Spriggs was um, a Tuskegee Airman, Army Air Corps, and before that, when he signed up in the Army, he went into the Cavalry, the Buffalo Soldiers. His name was a Buffalo Soldier and a um, Tuskegee Airman. His mother had a degree from Howard. His father, uh, while he was alive, he lived into his late 90s, was the oldest living graduate of Howard University in physics. He had a master's degree in physics and a PhD in physics. Uh, Bill Spriggs was the chief economist for the AFL-CIO. He worked uh, in joint committees in the United States Congress uh, uh, informing the Senate and the House on economic policy. He was um, uh, an appointee in the departments of labor um, for both Clinton and Obama administrations, uh, undersecretary of fact, labor and Obama administration. Uh, One time ran the Washington branch of the the, uh, urban league, Um, just, I mean, just really, you can't, you can't really. can't really elevate him enough. And I always wanted to work in black spaces. always wanted to work in, but he's getting his PhD at the university of Wisconsin, Madison did his PhD on black wealth creation in Virginia from 1900 to 1914. Bill Spriggs, uh, looking at the things that were done to rob black people of the value of their labor and wealth acquisition, from depressing their wages to depressing the ability for them to sell and, and buy property and so forth from 1900 to 1914. But as he was writing his dissertation, he was telling his friends, the only black person in this program at the time, that uh, I want to work in black spaces. Born in DC, lived there the first decade plus of his life, then moved uh, back to, well, moved to, in fact, um, North Carolina it was in Norfolk. I think his father was on faculty at Norfolk um, footnote to the footnote. I, I, I was yesterday years old when I was reading something about Nimrod Haley and Nikki Haley. Daddy was on the faculty at Voorhees College in South Carolina for 29 years. Anyway, back to Bill. Bill's father HBCU person. So he wanted to continue that. He trained generation of ec- economists and, and opened opportunities for them. Generation after generation of generations suddenly made transition to age 68 the same night awaits us all but no man no woman no person knows The time or the hour. So at any rate back to the point I was making when You see John Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh Looking at this situation with voting rights, they've already shrunk in voting rights and they've already said that factoring race in in voting rights is not allowable. But they have a little problem of the 15th Amendment. They have a problem with the 14th Amendment. And they have a problem with the Voting Rights Act, which still is good law, good legislation. You can't invalidate the Voting Rights Act. That's where you gotta go to the 50 pages of Clarence Thomas's dissent. In the milligan case released last week john roberts majority opinion was like 34 pages uh, sam uh mm, sam alito his his dissent his concurrence in, in Thomas' dissent and, he, and then he wrote separately was only a few pages kavanaugh's uh concurrence which was only in part three was dealing with the gingles test we talked about in a minute was only four pages and clarence thomas's dissent 50 pages oh he was mad Thomas wants you Negroes to do for self, and he's going to strip you of any capacity to do anything other than fight these people. But at any rate, because he's a big Second Amendment guy. But what Roberts recognized was a couple of things. They've already weakened the Voting Rights Act by letting the Klan run loose, the political Klan in those state legislatures controlled by Klan-adjacent white nationals, to pass all the strict voter ID laws to do anything they want. Basically, this was the Brinovich case in Arizona where they tell my drop boxes and if you vote in one place and then we, it was erroneous because they had you on the list in the other place. Can your vote be trained? Can you count? Can it count there? No, Arizona and Supreme Court. said we can't get involved. In that. it's not justiciable. Wisconsin. You know, can you know, can the state can the state legislature override? Okay, you yeah, know, we can't get involved. in not It's not justiceable. Okay, uh, North Carolina. You know you know it was not just for these political issues gerrymandering is political issues you see them lines they drew in north carolina yes they're political issues well here we come to alabama which we talked about when they did the oral arguments last year in alabama once you look at the numbers black people make up about a third of the black people but the people in the state they say tw- almost 28 percent in their numbers but i never counted this is a third you know they And like you said, Pro, people don't want to fill out the census. They get, uh, do you have a cell phone? Yes. Okay. They already got everything they need. So you might as well go and fill out the census. What the hell are y'all talking about? Your child on TikTok? The world got it then. Anyway, the point is that they looked and they said, okay, if we were to use kind of standard or conventional, I won't say standard, but a kind of conventional, reasonable separation of political little districts. Black people will be the majority in two of the five congressional districts in Alabama. Right now, there's are only one. That's Terry Sewell, so-called Black Belt Alabama, which stretches from where my mom was born, Russell County, Alabama, all the way over to Mississippi, from Georgia to Mississippi, across lower third of Alabama, the Black Belt, like a belt. But if you look at it, reasonably would we'll create two out of five. Well, they figured out a way to pack as many black people into Terry Sewell's district as possible and then to crack out the rest of the black people to distribute them where they can't have any power. Section two of the Voting Rights Act says that you can't restrict access to the ballot for minorities. That's section two. I understand? So section two is what people were worried about. Cause this is restriction of access. How you know it's restriction of access. It's not restriction of access. If you just read the plain language of the statute, cause that depends on how you're going to interpret it. We're going to go to Clarence Thompson in a minute. Cause he say access just means are you rested to vote? Yeah. Did somebody try to stop you from voting? Uh, Yeah. Okay. That's access. But look at the lines they drew. He said, no access means access. Okay. But militia don't mean militia. What you? Hey, 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 hold on. It's time to go. Jenny's got a dinner meeting tonight and I gotta be there and say that I wasn't. Anyway, boxes come into a bathroom near you. Clarence, tick-tock, tick-tock. Clock may be running on you. Then again, not, cause ain't nobody, Johnny Roberts gonna protect you. The point is this. Section two talks about access to the ballot. The, 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 the Milligan case raised the question of whether access to the ballot includes access to being represented in some n- way that is proportionate to your presence in the the polity in the state and so you can't look to the 15th amendment or to the Voting Rights Act of 1965 which is pursuant to the 15th amendment enabling legislation to carry out the 15th amendment you can't look to that you got to look to how that Voting Rights Act and 15th amendment have been interpreted well the courts have interpreted there was a case called uh Thornburg versus Gingles this is back in the 80s, just before I went to law school, in 1986, Supreme Court decided. They came with a three-part test to determine whether or not uh, there's been a violation of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. Number one, is the group in the in the state sufficiently large enough and geographically compact to constitute a majority? Yeah, in a single-member district, meaning you're going to vote for a congressperson. Do you have enough people in here to be the majority in this single-person district? They passed that test. Yeah, we got enough to be the majority in two. Okay, that's not enough. Second prong, is your group politically cohesive, meaning y'all tend to vote alike? They passed that test. Black people tend to vote the same in Alabama, like mid-80s, maybe even high. It was 85 or 88%. I'm, I'm you know I'm, I'm working without my uh, app up so somebody probably put it in the chat and please forgive me newbies because uh, normally I would have had a chat up but yeah maybe close to 90 percent okay that's number two all right number three does the majority in this case the white people in Alabama do they vote sufficiently as a block to make it a- almost impossible to for the minority people to get their representative. You know the percentage of white people in Alabama that vote for black candidates is like less than 15%. Memory serves me correct. So you pass all three tests in the get in, in Thornburg versus Gingles test, which is the test that is used to determine how section two of the Voting Rights Act is is interpreted. So you got enough black people in Alabama, okay. Mm-hmm. And they all vote, most of them vote this way, okay. And the white people vote in a way to make it impossible for them people to ever get who they want beyond that one. Okay. But guess what? What did Malcolm say back when Kennedy sent the troops in after Birmingham exploded, there was no new law. So Johnny Robb, you've been taking an ax to the voting rights act for a decade, bro. This is 2023. It's 10 years from Shelby County where you kicked teeth out of four made Five, section five neutral because you took out pre clear you say you got to come up with a new formula and you knew congressman will come with no formula because it was gridlock and but here's the problem again if we got this larger question is the vote purchased to membership in a passing formation called united states of america these hillbillies in this country these white nationalists in the united states of america count on the idea that the rest of us just going to continue to pretend like we Uh, buy into the illusion that this is a week. So every time they do something even increasingly more racist than they've done, which is hard to beat, but they keep doing it. They look at us and see we're protecting democracy and they expect us to say, oh, well, then that's okay." We never believed in this place. I'm sorry, y'all. And again, let me just let you in on a little secret. I've never taken a poll. But if you talk to black people for more than five minutes and raise the right question, they'll show you a little bit of the governance formation. Like that sister in Montgomery told that white woman who clothes she was washing and food. She was cooking. Keep effort with me. Okay. Talking about ride the bus. You're going to find out. You keep messing around. You might eat some saliva tonight, but the point is this, and that's, if I'm being nice, the point is this democracy, ha, da, democracy, you know, the reason I'm keep saying this is cause get you leave me alone. I know y'all gonna do what y'all do. But we've had enough. So they go to the court. And if Roberts, this is Roberts' uh, this is Roberts' chance to slap Section 2 around and say, you don't have a right to have two black congresspeople. You just have a right to vote, to have access to the ballot. You don't have a right because the states get to pick how they draw the lines. That's a political issue. But this one is so egregious. It satisfies those three problems of the Gingles test, which is what Kavanaugh wrote in his four-page concurrence. He agreed with Roberts all the way down, and when he got to the Gingles part, which was like part 3A or 3B, he said, I'm going to write separately to reemphasize this. He's really talking to Alito, who, in his dissent, agreed with Thomas all the way down, except he wanted to argue about Gingles too, because he said, y'all misreading Gingles," But you can't trust Alito, because he said you're misreading the whole damn Constitution. That's that BS he wrote in, in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health. All this shit is wrong. Hold on man, 50 years of pressing is wrong. Yeah, y'all wrong. Shout out to the federal society. Shout out to my funders. Shout out to my mans and them. I'm on the cruise. Clarence, Clarence, come here, bro. What? Hey man, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me finish smoking this stogie. We're gonna make another uh, round in the super yacht. Then I'll come over there and join you. Well, oh wait, we gotta put the financial disclosure forms? Shit, man, my, 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 my face is all in the news media. Uh, can I have another week? That happened this week too, by the way. Thomas and Alito sick, and they have a little bit more time to put their financial disclosures out? Why? Oh, when this book comes out 10, 20 years, you find out Johnny Rob back there like, man, y'all can re-tear this whole shit up. I know about unknown Christian soldiers, and I know y'all think y'all can do whatever y'all want because Jesus is coming back. I don't know how in the hell Clarence Thomas thinks Jesus come coming back for him because you didn't see it, man. Come on, bro. You, you think you're going to him. Anyway, the point is this. Y'all better get this money straight because the court's legitimacy is already in the toilet, and people are getting ready to take it out the toilet and throw it on the ground. So we got to pump the brakes. Plus, we got what we wanted. Don't y'all remember? And here's the kicker for the case we saw last week with Milligan, which is why it ain't as significant as people are saying. The Alabama legislature put that bogus gerrymandered map into play. And the black people sued. And people of goodwill sued. That case went from the district court in Alabama, where the district court said, Oh, yeah, this is racist as hell. Y'all have violated section two of the Voting Rights Act. Alabama, you got to go back and redraw these maps. They need two districts. You got to redraw these maps. So, what did the white nationalists do? Bring, bring, hello, hello, Supreme Court. What can I talk to John? No, excuse me. I'm John Chris. Sam Alito, can I talk to Sam Alito? What Claire is that? Yo, we need to, we need to, we need this shit litigated right now. Pew! It goes from the district court, past the appeals court to the Supreme Court of United States. Boom. They call it the rocket docket or the shadow docket. They've been using that to put pump brakes on stuff, voting rights, abortion, gun rights. Okay, what does that mean? That means that then it's going straight to Supreme Court to be litigated, except the people who filed a lawsuit who are trying to get this extra black district to the Supreme Court, okay, so you need to enjoin them from using that map, because the district court said they got to redraw it. What did Robertson them say? Nah, they could use the maps too close. What did Kavanaugh say? Kavanaugh said, I voted that way because it's, it's too close to the election. It won't take them but a few days to redraw the map. No, 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 no. Leave it in place. And guess what? Oh, I'm sorry, Louisiana, North Carolina, these other states where they did the same damn thing, because you know you all talking to each other. The smoke from Canada don't know the border between Canada and the United States. The white nationalists in the United States don't have borders between Kansas and Mississippi and Louisiana and Texas and New York. They don't have, uh, if they're in a, in a state where they don't run it, they done all met up anyway, and the smoke reached Wisconsin. And they said, I don't care if you did win the state Supreme Court election. We're going to figure out a way to impeach you. We just got to come up with a rationale for it. Because they meeting. Their smoke exceeds the boundaries. Meanwhile, we were out here running with state flags. Wash out damn mind. But Louisiana, North Carolina, they got similar situations. So what's the Supreme Court say? None of them cases can be heard and disposed of until the Alabama case is heard and disposed of. And we are telling Alabama, don't change the maps. Y'all go ahead and vote like y'all want. And them other ones is holding the bay. So this is like, what was that game we used to play? They don't play it anymore because everybody got uh they in their house now with their thumbs. Uh the one where you running, and then the person who is giving orders tells you to stop. What's that mother, one? Mother may I. Mother may Mother May Eye is when you are moving, right? And four, then four. You red, light, green light. Red, red light, green light. That's it. Thank you, prop. See, y'all young people don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> red light, green light, red light, green light. John Roberts and the Supreme Court, red light. And in that red light, they got to keep all them racist ass maps. How y'all think the Democrats lost the midterm elections? If them extremely gerrymandered maps hadn't been in place, Kevin McCarthy wouldn't be Speaker of the House because the Republicans would not have won the majority. This is how they stole enough seats to get it close enough to get the majority, their narrow majority. Johnny Robb reminded them in this opinion, hold on, now we already won. This don't change nothing prior to 2023. We let them keep, we let them, keep them funky-ass maps and steal them seats. They got the legislature. So what I'm doing now is making it look like I didn't come back to my right mind. Cause what does he write in his majority opinion in the Milligan case? We cannot overturn fifty years of precedent. Wait, just the same John Roberts who wrote? This the same John Roberts who wrote Shelby? County? Yeah, cause it don't matter. What? So people saying, "Oh, Roberts! Oh, God, thank you! Roberts came to his senses." No, John Roberts is a political op. And so is his friend beer kavanaugh and what they realize is y'all keep running this boston this way when the supreme court makes a decision people go i don't give about supreme court where you going i'm got my torch i'm gonna burn the whole place oh it's marble uh oh, that's all right we just camp outside wait for them so they gotta go home sometime <laughs> we got to slow our roll alito out here talking crazy talking about josh can't y'all can't crazy. shut up sam can you count <laughs> you don't have the numbers bro. A- ACB Comey Barrett is like, well, I got what I wanted, <laughs> you yeah. mm-hmm. And need I remind you fools that we got affirmative action, that we got the Indian Child Welfare Act coming up, that we got the Independent State Legislature potentially. We got the things we really care about. This one right here, it looks like a victory, and it is partially for them. But we've already made the Voting Rights Act sick as hell. Ain't no need to knock his teeth out now. And if you, in case you weren't paying attention. We've got the numbers and Louisiana, North Carolina, those cases are coming back because remember in North Carolina, the state Supreme Court said that you have eliminated black voting power with surgical precision. But then, because Negroes in North Carolina didn't vote enough and white people and other people of our common humanity didn't vote enough, they was able to flip the North Carolina Supreme Court and they heard the same damn case they had heard months before again with no new evidence and flipped it. And now they said, you can put them racist ass maps. But guess what? Robertson, i like, let's get past the election 24. We can always kick the rest of the teeth out of the voting rights, at, but if you do it today, you might F around and trigger these people to overflow the boundaries that we have so carefully tended over the years. So let's pretend that we're heroes by giving them something that they already had and making it look like we've come to our uh, minds. <laughs> so. That is a summary of what we saw. Roberts in the majority talking about story, decisive and precedent. Kavanaugh saying, Yeah, he's right. And that Gingles test, it really does apply here, Sam. And then Clarence Thomas. Clarence is like, Boss, what the hell's wrong with y'all? The Voting Rights Act, Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, does not guarantee Black people political representation. When it says access to the ballot in Section 2, that means do you have the ability to go cast your ballot it doesn't mean how the laws are drawn how the how the, how the districts are drawn that's up to the legislature. and guess what else i believe in an independent state legislature here come amy comey barrett i might believe in it too sam alito is like i've been believing in it didn't you see uh the uh the pennsylvania case during the election when i was like sequestered those ballots didn't you see brenovich and the rest of them well i was like yeah there are other reasons for us didn't you don't you remember do you remember <laughs> Do you remember Bush versus Gore? Clarence is like, I remember that. In fact, who's left on the Supreme Court who was around when Bush versus Gore was decided in two thousand? Oh, Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas said there are additional factors in stopping the counting of votes in Florida beyond the Fourteenth Amendment considerations. What would those be, Clarence? Well, you know, I like this independent state legislature theory. Boy, these people come out in Moore versus Harper and say that state legislatures are the ones who have the ultimate responsibility to determine not only how electors are elected, but to certify them. What they tried to pull with that certification effort in 2021, what they tried to pull at the election of November 2020 will be legal. And that's where we are, friends, while we're talking about the Voting Rights Act case, which we should, and we did just for a minute, the thunder ain't clapped yet. The thunder's coming in the next couple of weeks, and I'm sure we'll be right back here. Now, we don't know what's going to happen. It could be because they've been able to flip the, the North Carolina legislature in in the interim with this defector from Raleigh, this lady that defected to the Republicans. It could be they don't need it anymore. Um, it could be, I mean, this could go any number of ways and maybe we'll talk about it as we get a little bit closer, certainly as the decision comes out, we don't know when the decision could come and come out next week, it could be released. Um, surely you've got at least three people who believe that the independent state legislature theory is, should be the law. That's not five. Uh, Roberts worried about his little country, but his votes not enough to go with Sotomayor to go with Kentaji Kentucky Brown-Jackson and to go with Elena Kagan. He would need beer Kavanaugh who still has the stench of cheap beer and is trying desperately to wash it off, which is partially why I think I suspect he went with Roberts this time. And again, people saying that's politics. It's not the law. Oh, take your time. Take your time. You read this opinion. They sound rational. How did they go from irrational to rational in one fell swoop? The answer is they know how fragile countries are. We're not where Mali is yet. We're not where Gabon is yet. We're not where Burkina Faso is yet. But if you're paying attention, you're seeing in places like Atlanta with the protest against cop city, which started with a handful of dissenters and continued to swell until it became an all night exercise and F y'all doing. Y'all been bought by these damn police. And it doesn't end here. It continues. There may be some exciting things going on in Mississippi right now. You may see some interesting things come up in the next federal election cycle. But as what I'm saying is that we're not where some of these other places are yet in terms of people saying I've had enough, but we're close. And John Roberts recognizes that.
0: So we can pause for that so the message today, smoke knows no boundaries. And, Come on now. and we must be the smoke. We must be the smoke.
1: And we have always been, always, been
0: always been the smoke. We've always been the smoke.
1: We've always been the smoke. Juneteenth is our holiday because we freed ourselves. My my dear, don't go anywhere. I, was, I mentioned my, my former student, um, Ava Kinsey. She was Ava Wilson when she wrote her master's thesis at Temple University, after coming to undergrad at Howard out of Dallas, my, my girl Ava. She wrote about her family and community there in Texas because the Buffalo soldiers, who do you think told them Black people slavery's over? It wasn't Gordon Granger on the veranda by itself. Black soldiers were marching through Texas like, it's over, y'all. And Ava was tracing that. We freed ourselves, y'all. That's why Juneteenth is indigestible. You can't mix that story up with patriots. No, and you can't make them boys patriots either. They were. They were enslaved men who had the bars of the country on their shoulders so they could get the gun and they freed themselves that's right we are the smoke prop that's brilliant
0: we are the smoke as you, as, as you inform all of my conversations now you know i already had some skills but now you know i have the knowledge to go with it to be able to to, to know what the entry point should be in all of these conversations that I'm having with people. And I hope it's informing other people of how we must have these conversations and not just parrot the narrative that the media is handing you because they don't do this scholarly work that Dr. Carr is doing. So mm-hmm. I sit with my pet, pen and pad every class because <laughs> I'm gonna be in, in community with folks. And if you wanna come on the show to have a conversation, yeah, I'm gonna not let you just say whatever you want. I'm gonna stop you when you start to you know, run these uh, rifts rifts of uh, colonization i'm going to change your language and correct it and you know when we uh have the the platform to do it we must and i want to also thank you because it was because of you that i got to sit with dr spriggs i got to sit with dr william Spriggs. and um you know and i went back to a text where i sent you because i was like is he is he all right you know because i got a vet I got to (laughs) back you before they come. You know, I got to know that they're gonna give us BS because I don't have the economic background to go through it. But you told me he was legit, and he came through. And I'm probably gonna replay it for the holidays. uh, That interview, because we got it. And thank you for the obituary that we won't probably see in the New York Times because we have the momentum of memory to be able to give us a life. That man's life that will never end because you spoke his name today. And you know,
1: the president of the United States put out a a condolence letter to the family. Bill Spriggs was, it's a beautiful thing. Everybody in Iraq, everybody doesn't have the gift to absorb incredible amounts of material and then put it in a way where people can connect like you do. Everybody doesn't have the ability to connect in different ways. but, But Bill Spriggs, in fact, uh, s- several people this week called him a public intellectual. If you want to talk about public intellectual, that's what Bill Spriggs was. I- I'm going to be in here in the room when they're making policy to fix my people. I'm not rah-rah. and you say, I'm not Nevada, but I'm going to talk like this. Gonna, but I know, he said, I'm come becoming an economist because our people need these weapons. So Bill Spriggs was as black as they come, but he ain't going to wear the red, black, and green. You're going to see Bill, Bill Spriggs going to have a suit and tie, just like John Harry Clark used to wear all the time. But it, coming out of his mouth, it's going to change policy. So yeah, thank you. And 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 he loved us, Sister Valerie. Last Monday, we will pick up there Monday night. We'll get black in there and talk about this this love question. We started in office hours on Monday. Um, things are changing. A- have you seen uh You seen Little Mermaid or no? You didn't buy out the bar yet. You, did you see uh, Miles Morales?
0: No, I, I. You know, I'm still not in them streets. But I. I, I know you not. Um, you know, Brother Roderick Moore, uh, who we were talking about the movies and how he experiences them. He goes to the IMAX with the big, with the thing. With the thing. We're talking about the Avatar, which is finally on uh, Disney and HBO Max. So I got to see that because he said he went to the theater and they were throwing water on him. And the, I was like, <laughs> Here we go? go." you got water being thrown on you. I don't know whose water is that. I don't know. Is the water clean? You know, so I got too many OCD issues to be in, in, in a space like that. But I know it was incredible. I know it was no probably...
1: Well, yeah, the, the Spider-Verse, what Ureas says of last Monday said he saw it four times you know he looked over oh. eyes that we don't have. So uh, yeah. but in, in this same New Yorker, there's this article, and you don't go anywhere, it's called uh, Comic okay. Effect, how the Marvel, uh, How the Marvel's cinematic universe swallowed Hollywood. <laughs> so there's this long article um, by Michael Schumann that talks about how Marvel has set this up. Uh, End of the Spider-Verse was the 33rd film wow. so far. And remember, Iron Man only came out in 2008. And they they have obviously unlocked the sequels because those of us who read comics, of course, know that it never ends. So you ain't got to worry about a one, two, three. No, just make a next one. Miles Morales had cleared, as of a couple of days ago, $29 billion wow. in the cl- <laughs> And the thing about it was when we were talking about Monday Night Office Hours, I'm sure we will talk about it more. There's a white character at the center, Gwen Stacy, Spider-Gwen, so you got the little romantic tension, whatever, but when I tell you that the vast majority of sentient beings in the Spider-Verse, at least as it's been laid out so far, are not white. If they're humanoid, they're black. They got black girls. They got, well, uh, Issa, Issa Rae is Spider-Woman, the voice of spider I'm looking like, see, this is something, Disney is not thinking. Disney, like smoke, does not look at the boundaries. Disney is making films to get everybody's money. They got an Indian Spider-Man, I mean, from the Indian subcontinent in the in the universe where what's it called? Uh Mumbai or something is the name. Like it's, it's New York and Mumbai together. And he's in the Spider-Verse and his daddy is a cop. I'm like, these boys done figured out they done- the world understands it's not as you've always said, you the world understands the global majority and Disney can ready get everybody money mm, and Spider Verse is doing it. <laughs> anyway.
0: We're we gonna have this conversation, y'all, in uh the DC area at Blurredcom. Blurredcom, Blurred yes, me, you, Dr. Sinjada, the Smithsonian uh brother, as well. Kevin, i yep. gonna be uh there, I'm moderating because I'm just gonna be pulling the threads and sewing them together so that we can get a, book, a full picture. So thank you for, for that too. And I'll see you. In no, a
1: thank you for inviting me. And I'm going to be sitting there almost like you really in terms of listening because you know, blurbs don't play and I ain't trying to look just like I don't play no basketball. I ain't no computer programmer. Blurbs. I ain't trying to run up in there. With all this
0: stuff. <laughs> well, Listen, tell all of the graduates, uh, thank you. Tell all of the teachers, thank you. Uh, and I'm so grateful that you are in, in them streets, Dr. In Carr. Uh, yes, in the beautiful,
1: beautiful Southeast DC. Yes, ma'am. I definitely will send your love and encouragement and words of greeting.
0: Amen. Amen. All right, love you, Dr. Love Carr. Love you too. And Nubians, we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, we have, I think, uh, both um, Maroon's Medicine Chest and we have a mental health. Uh, Dr. Narisa, I think, will be in uh, Nubia tomorrow as well. And of course, office hours for everyone. Uh, have a wonderful weekend and love.